Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent bass. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome back to another episode of Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. I am the irreplaceable Ryan Siebold, and with me today is the man who broke into the film industry, producing sex tapes for the rich and famous, Mr. Jason Peters! What's up, Ryan? I've never gotten to do that before. How'd it feel? It's cool. It's all, it's, it's, I'll admit, it was kind of weird. I enjoyed it. It was fun in and of itself, but just this whole role reversal thing's got me a little twacked. Yeah? Well, let's yeah, talk yeah, a little bit about little the, bit. uh, your, your way into the old film industry here. I know you've been, you've been trying. <laughs> you and I met in film school, and, uh, Absolutely. I think we, we took different ways to the top. I, I, um. Yes, I was going to say, wildly <laughs> divergent paths we had, man. So, yeah, so while you were able to uh, make a fine living recording a sound for uh, some rather esteemed networks, I was not so lucky. But thankfully, I live in a little place called the San Fernando Valley. Now, folks, <laughs> you may not have heard of the San Fernando Valley, but we've got a little city by the name of Chatsworth over here. And if you uh, if you are a frequenter of the uh, Pornhub and Pornhub-like establishments, you're very familiar with the Chatsworth. A lot of it goes down there. So, uh, yeah, one day, Ryan, I was just, you know, tried to get on a Fox TV set for the 80th <laughs> time. And they freaking, you know, chucked me out, you know, old school style. Like, get out of here, kid, you know, and picked myself up, dusted myself off, said, fine, screw you. I'm going to Chatsworth. I'll be something you'll see. You'll show them. And, uh... Yeah, within uh, three days, I was a very esteemed fluffer. That now, quickly, I had, it, I, and I and I hung my hat on being the best fluffer in town. It's funny you you put it that way, fluffer, because uh, I heard that when everybody else was going towards the Kardashians and Hiltons, uh, you kind of zigged when everybody was zagging, and you went towards mm -hmm. uh, famous restaurant mascots like Ronald McDonald and Grimace, uh, which is an oh, odd, yeah. odd take, but uh, you know, definitely. Here's the thing, dude. I, here's put you the in thing. a niche I'm a market. I am a visionary, sir, okay? And and the thing is, look, I know that I don't have the resources to get a Kardashian or a Hilton, <laughs> but you know what everyone's really into? Significant portion of the population? Furries. Furries, right? Yeah. And now here's the thing. The most popular furries in the world, the celebrity furries, yes. I was able to recognize are restaurant mascots. There you yes, go. Your Hamburglers, your Grimaces, your Ronald <laughs> McDonald's, your Kings from Burger King. And let's not forget Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's. I mean, yeah, the there's, there's, they, it's a huge costume. A lot of yep. people aren't familiar with the furry world, but there's this like the Dave Thomas founder of Wendy's costume is always rented out. Always. You know, that's fantastic. I uh, I, I did bring in uh, someone to kind of verify your story and add a little bit to the dialogue. Uh, oh, yeah? Welcome. Yeah, yeah. I had to search far and wide and, and go down the uh, the old Internet wormhole for for this gentleman. But uh, he was your lube tech on the McDonald's uh, sex tape for Ronald McDonald. I don't know if you no. remember. No, yeah, you we did. brought him in. Yep. Oh I man. I brought in the, uh, the lube aficionado, 
uh, from the Mustachioed Podcastio, our guest host today, Mr. Daniel Segura. Hey, how's everybody doing out there? <laughs> My man, Daniel. What's how's, up, dude? You, you still lubing it up? Lubing it up like a smooth cat. You're damn right. <laughs> dude, this guy... <laughs> This guy always got all the ladies. Like, the thing is, you know, when you watch the movies, like, he was the one warming them up off set, dude. Used to piss off the actors all the time. Because they're like, I didn't get, I didn't get paid for sloppy seconds. And Daniel's like, yes, you did. Well, I mean, this guy yeah. trains. Yeah. As he he put a guy. lot into his craft. It happens as a loop guy. <laughs> Sometimes you just get a little carried away. You're just first just kind of getting them going. And the next thing you know, you just take it to the next level i mean even ronald mcdonald he actually believe it or not had a squeaker installed in his penis um, <laughs> and uh, you'd imagine that made me giggle a couple times <laughs> man yep absolutely dude i remember that too i remember he was like smashing in that one scene and you just hear like ah, 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 ah. <laughs> oh yeah good old ronnie good old ronnie good old ronnie I'm here to tell you that would piss me off as an audio guy. That's uh, that's a hold for sound moment. I wouldn't know. What to do <laughs> yeah, we did a lot of holding. Believe me, as fluffers, it comes with the territory. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> Putting the bring, bringing the the happiness to happy meals. You too. I swear. To God. Well, oh, that, on that same note, that special uh, magic sauce. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's boy, point it to films. Boy, are we going to make a hard right into this film, Jason? Hey. Why don't you tell us a, a little bit about what movie we're right. talking about today? We're talking about hard rights into hard candy. That's right. Uh, we have a description from Google. Haley is a precocious teenager who goes to a coffee shop to meet Jeff, the photographer she met on the Internet. Jeff thinks he is in for a real treat, but Haley plays a trick on him. After drugging Jeff and tying him down... Haley reveals that she knows that Jeff preys on teenage girls, and she has a plan to wring a confession from him. Fun times, Ryan. What did you think about this movie? Jason, I waited my whole life to tell you this, but I would love to tell you right after we listen to this trailer for Hard Candy. Jeff? Haley? You just don't really look like the kind of guy who has to meet girls over the internet. <laughs> Well, I think it's better to meet people online first. Get to know what they're like inside. You work as a photographer, you find out real quick. People's faces lie. Does my face lie? <laughs> that is so good. Do you, do you want some? Sure. <laughs> mm. You look older than you are. You certainly act older than you are. Really? Call your sister, tell her where you'll be. Maybe later. I'm reading um, Romeo and Juliet. It's a ninth grade book, but I figured I could have it done before the school year starts. Didn't know you're interested in that kind of thing. You thought since we've been chatting for three weeks that you knew everything about me? We're all shot here. My house is in my studio. I recognize this girl. The things you do wrong, they haunt you. This is officially sick. I have never hurt anyone. It's just so easy to blame a kid. 
So yeah, uh, hard candy is what we were looking at today. And Ryan, you told me in keeping with the theme here, you said you were going to tell us right after uh, this trailer. So I would like to hear, go ahead and kick us off. What did you think about this movie? I really enjoyed this movie. Um, you know, kind of a mixed nice. bag. It was stripped down, very simple, uh, almost like a two, two person stage play, um, you know, kind of. Uh, interesting to watch all that play out over an hour and 40 some odd minutes. Uh, this was David Slade's first film. David Slade went on to go do everything. For, he's done a lot of television. He came from a music video background. Um, and then this was his first feature. So, uh, you know, coming from, you know, uh, things like uh, Sour Girl for Stone Temple Pilots. He did that music video. He did Aerials for System of a Down. He was kind of caught up in that late 90s, early 2000s hard rock, uh, you know, Maxim magazine scene. Uh, so maybe he's uh, hung out with our boy from your friends and neighbors and whatnot. But um, yeah, he went on to do some Twilight movies. And uh, he, I think he did Bandersnatch for Black Mirror for Netflix, uh, the, the Black Mirror feature film, Choose Your Own Adventure feature film. So uh, yeah, dude's been doing some stuff. He's continued to work. Um, but uh, I thought this was a, a solid film. This came in under a million dollar budget. We're looking at about 950000 uh, from what I could see. And it made about eight mil. So... That's, I think, a solid investment. Yeah, not bad. Absolutely. So, uh, awesome. Love to hear it. Let's go ahead and start as we do, Ryan. At the beginning. At the beginning. So, our opening shot, after a rather interesting credit sequence, which features minimalist geometry and a limited color palette, we're treated to a text exchange between two users. They're named ThongGirl14 and Lensman319. Uh, the first line between them reads, should we finally hook up, baby? To which there is a response, I'm not a baby. The two engage in a flirtatious back and forth that the camera reveals in an interesting series of floating pans and tilts. It isn't long before Thong Girl agrees to meet, saying, let's hook up, meet you at Nighthawks. Now, guys, from there we go to the actual uh, Nighthawks, and it's obviously a sort of play on Starbucks, right? The very first shot is it's a close-up of this chocolate cake as this young girl, Haley, she takes her first bite, has this very sort of innocent remark about how good it is, and then Patrick Wilson's character, Jeffrey, uh, walks in behind and she turns around and he immediately like wipes the chocolate off of her lips and makes a suggestive remark. Now, it's an uncomfortable scene, right? It's, it takes place over the course of a few minutes and we right away know that... Uh, the girl is underage, played by Elliot Page, who at the time, I believe, was probably 18 or 19, but looks much younger. And I think then, she was 17. Uh, oh, was she 17? Okay. 17, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, and then, uh, and then Patrick Wilson's, you know, mid-30s-ish or so. And, you know, it's a... Uh, it's kind of interesting because, Daniel, I'd like your take on this. So one of the things for me during this opening sequence is, you know, obviously there's the two of them and it's a little uncomfortable as you're watching it. But at the same time, I'm really impressed by the filmmaking style, like right away within those first handful of minutes. Um, I thought that the film sort of had a lot to offer visually and sort of set a really effective tone. Um, and so it was kind of like, wow, I'm uncomfortable watching the actors, but I'm really enjoying the sort of filmmaking style and visual language that's already on display in these first handful of minutes. Yeah, I like. Uh, what did you think about that? I like this. I like the spacing of of how 
they're in this kind of cafe, little dessert cafe setting, and I like the way it's captured them speaking to each other. You can tell they're very familiar with each other already, and I think the way it's shot helps add to that feeling, uh, just getting the right angles. He's constantly looking down at her, mostly because he's freaking tall mm-hmm. as hell, and Elliot Page is pretty short. I'm not sure what her height is, but it's looking like maybe 5'3 or something. That just adds, honestly, to the creepy factor of it all. Because not only do you know she's young going in on this, but she's also much smaller than him. And they, they're just tracking around. There's a weird... It's weird. If you've seen this movie before, you don't quite notice some of the weird nuances. But when you've seen it a couple of times, you can really tell that Patrick Wilson's character is so ingrained, so entrenched in getting his, um, you know, quote-unquote, I guess, prey almost... That he doesn't realize how in on it she is, how in control Mm -hmm. she is of the situation. I think that's what kind of captures my attention looking at this now for for this episode here. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I agree. You know, I think that and one of the other things, too, is I think that just, um, you know, which we'll touch on later, but just the overall look of the film. Um, you know, it's got a really interesting sort of that dark and grainy aesthetic that really is sort of popularized at the time, that sort of mid-2000s look. But And then the other thing, too, that I always appreciate, um, which, again, we can go into later, that tends to be uh, sort of overlooked as far as I'm concerned, is just the pacing of the film and the way that, you know, the edits facilitate that without being too much. You know, it's it's enough to keep it interesting without turning it into like a Paul Greengrass film, which for me is always a little much. From there, though, so, yeah, the we have these two main characters, Jeff and Haley. They talk and flirt at this cafe. Uncomfortable as it is, he uh, offers, I suppose you could say, to take her home, and she agrees. And when we get to the house, immediately, uh, you know, there's there's some red flags here because uh, he's got pictures of uh, underage models. They're not naked, you know, necessarily, but, uh, again, you know, this, this single guy here, and he's got pictures of uh, underage girls on the wall, which she, you know, remarks. I actually have a clip of that that we're going to play real quick and then come back from. Oh, my God. Okay, you are like a big deal, aren't you? I get work. Oh, isn't that one of those um, cameras that gives you the like square image? How do you know that? Uh, I'm a goon. I just like read constantly. I mean, you saw all those books in my bag, so. You're not reading now. I'm not, am I? <laughs> yeah. Feels good. Don't fall behind. We should toast. Carpe omnius. What's that? Well, that's my own little toast. You know carpe diem, obviously. Seize the day. So I figure carpe omnius. (laughs) Take it all. Take it all. Now, from here, the two continue talking, and Jeff actually goes to make them some drinks. Uh, Again, huge red flag, right? Underage. And he starts to become a little bit more aggressive and forward, but she actually says, like, oh, no, I'm actually not going to take that. We learned in school not to take drinks that somebody mixes for you. I'll make my own. Mm. And he goes ahead and lets her, and then that's going to ultimately be his downfall. Now, Ryan, I wanted to ask you, because we'll get into the story for a little bit, but... 
there were some elements of the production design uh, and also how that lent itself to the cinematography in this early conversation that really jumped out to me. Uh, I, w- I was curious if it did for you because I just just knowing you, I feel like uh, you probably had a response to that. Yeah, I mean, most of the notes I have are in regards to the production design. Um, there are two things that make this film work for me. Uh, one, the acting, obviously, the charisma that 100%. Patrick Wilson brings to the table um, and the uh, what's the phrase? Uh, manic uh, pixie dream girl. Uh, oh yeah, kind we, of we gone discovered wrong. that in uh, what was it? Uh, Seeking a friend for the end of the world. Yeah, correct. We learned about yes. manic pixie dream girl. Daniel, are yes. you familiar with that concept? I am semi familiar, but yeah, what to expand on that? Ryan, yeah, Ryan, break it down for for anybody who doesn't know. It's basically a quirky female character that exists solely for the propulsion of our male antagonist. So it's someone that kind of like a Natalie Portman in Garden State. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think the uh, term was coined for Kirsten uh, uh, Dunst in Elizabethtown. Um, even right. Mary Elizabeth Winstead in uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. You know, something like this where it's just these characters are just quirky for the sake of being quirky. Um, it's this... Um, uh, idealized female character that would be subservient to a male character and provide, uh, oh, I think I can get a girl like that. Um, it's yeah. kind of like every... And they never have their own, like, uh, motivations either, you know? Right. Like, they're never they're, after they're anything. They're always just kind of, like, there. And it's like, dude, you're a dream girl, and, like, you're just kind of a loner. And that I, want you, <laughs> I want you to succeed. How can I help? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. It's, uh, it's uh, every character Zoe Deschanel's uh, ever played in a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's all of that. And so, I mean, I will I, say I have met some... I have met, especially when you're younger, you know, I would say high school yeah. time. There are some girls that are just, I, I guess uh, we would call them free spirits, but they do bring off right. that energy of like, I have like no, no, nothing is weighing on me. I just sort of do what I do and I go with the flow. But in reality, there's always something underneath that layer that is very real, that they're just sure. sort of protecting. Right. But in these movies, that's not always the case. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and in the context of a film, uh, specifically, or or even a, I guess a, a written word, this these characters don't have any of their own character arcs. Yeah. So they exist Correct. solely for the purpose of supporting the main, usually male antagonist or protagonist, excuse me, uh, to help them achieve their dream and get into that third act. So it's just a support beam, um, and uh, you know. Uh, after a certain amount of these characters started to pop up, it's like, can, can a woman get like a story arc, please? Like, wh- what do I got to <laughs> do to get a, a three act structure for me? No and, kidding. and we did get that and that's good. But so Elliot page starts out, um, uh, as that kind of character to me. Yeah. And, uh, and then we see the, the reverse side of this. So this is kind of a film where it turns that character on its head. And I really, really appreciated that. But uh, to your question, though, uh, so there's that that's helping <laughs> coming that back that, around. That, that's helping all this Going work. On them also, as we do the camera work and the set design and the colors and the yeah. lens flares, the um, the pacing you're talking about is completely supported by 
the the camera work you got like you know really slow dolly shots in a wide or a two shot uh, for the establishing shots you get intimate close-ups really uh, tight close-ups and you've got frenetic violent handheld shots and there's even yeah. some anamorphic lens flares a la JJ Abrams that were brought in to obscure things or to uh, make you feel out of sorts when Patrick Wilson oh, sure gets like when he wakes up drugged. right yeah. right so the camera is almost a character all its own and, and comes totally. alive in this film um, and and I even have here in notes uh, there's color shifts from warm to cool yes. and cool to warm mid shot uh, it's <laughs> crazy I don't even know how they did it but then I went back and watched his old music videos specifically uh-huh. um, Ariel's and Sour Girl and he does the a lot of the, the same uses of color and camera work in those music videos so these are tools in his toolbox that he was already bringing to the table uh, from his music video days and um, you know where it is more of a visual medium and the you get because you've only got a song and then you've got to tell yeah. the story visually so uh you know he was uh, you know i've also got in my notes here uh, and this kind of pissed me off artists always have the coolest houses and lofts in films <laughs> and it, it made me feel like a real piece of shit like i was like man i gotta paint like an accent wall or something in here i've got all beige and khaki tones <laughs> Um, his house was all accent walls. That's all yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like, he looks, every wall was a different texture, different material. It was like glass <laughs> with like a white glow coming through or like bright reds, yeah. bright yellows. I was like, fuck me, dude. Like I'm a photographer. I need to like live cooler. I need some swag in here. Do y'all feel like just because I don't have as much of a, a film background as y'all too, do you feel like because this movie is a little bit anchored down with pretty much two characters, you're pretty much in one set for the most of the time. Does it end up very much depending on visuals, like the physical visuals of his house being so different colored and a lot of accent walls and camera work? Does that end up having to be a very having to pull a lot of weight in order to keep? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 100 percent. And the charisma of your two actors, which are the two things I think stood out most to me, because you've only got two people on screen for the entire film. So they better be correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a really good observation, dude, because, yeah, that's very much sort of what impressed me about the film is it's like look this film is first of all let's get this off right off the bat so i actually introed this movie last week which i guess would have been on our outro so maybe intro isn't the right word either way i had sort of primed i was expecting this film to be much more graphic than it was like same i i've seen audition before this is my first time seeing hard candy so i basically thought it was going to be american audition and i thought that once, you know, when, once once he wakes up, it's just going to be torture porn for like an hour straight. And this was not that at all. This was one of those films where all the heavy lifting is really done off screen through creative use of sound effects, through effective performances, through effective use of close up and how all of those different things interact, seeing the aftermath of the actions as opposed to the actions themselves. Um, and, you know. Yeah, because and it, this film almost played like a stage play, you know. And so to right, your point, totally. Daniel, like if you just have two actors in a in one room, pretty much for ninety minutes, that can get so stale so quickly. So yeah, you have to be dynamic with your shots. You know, you have to just get a fuck ton of coverage so that you can keep it visually interesting. And then I believe as well. So that's the thing, Ryan. To your point, I, I, I so <laughs> it's it's Hollywood, right? Everything's manufactured on the screen but the thing is that typically in films artists especially in a role like this they're successful 
So all those all those rooms that you're talking about, all those cool artist rooms, they're like super successful artists that, you know, <laughs> they make it pay thousands and thousands of dollars per photo shoot. And they're always, right. you know, got to start in Life magazine. And now they've worked their way and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, they, it's never like those of us that are real artists that, you know, just can't afford shit and live off ramen. Like, because they're like, oh, I don't want to sit in a dusty cellar for 90 minutes. Let's make him successful and give him a bunch of cool walls. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe because <laughs> he's not that he's not that <laughs> right? old. He's a photographer. He can never <laughs> afford dinner seven days in a row. That's absurd. He can't afford that green yeah. T-shirt. <laughs> right? still, yeah, right. Look at him. He's shaved and showered. That's absurd. <laughs> right. This guy's got credit card debt up the wazoo. <laughs> That's, That's exactly what we learned. How it is. <laughs> um, yeah, because here's the thing. Like, look, Picture this script. Uh, and you're now the director and you got to make this movie and you're yeah. filming it in your house. How interesting is that going to be? You know what I mean? So the, <laughs> yeah. the backdrop is uh, definitely a character in this film and, and uh, hats off to, to the use of color and, and, you know, camera work yeah. and all of that. Cause if you film this the in way, my house, it would be a lot of, ca- <laughs> like I said, a lot of khaki bland walls well, behind them. Boring as shit. <laughs> and one of the things I thought was really interesting too, is did you guys notice that his bedroom was completely pink? Pink. Every room had a different every color. Every wall in his bedroom, every everything was pink. Oof. And so, yes. like, I don't... Well, so... And I'd like your take on that, actually. Do you think that... Do you think that that is reflective of his obsession with the girl? Do you think he, like... Like, why do you think that they gave him that pink room? Like... I think innocence. I think that every use of color is meaningful in here. So there's even some... That's um, so, there's even sorry, some transitions ahead. between Patrick Wilson and... Uh, Elliot Page mid conversation uh, where there's just like um, this weird uh, panel of red that goes between them that just fills the screen. It makes no sense where there's nothing in between them as they're sitting at the table talking, but like there's these weird uses of color because uh, there's like teal between him sometimes. And then there's like yellow. So you start to get into warm tones, cool tones, uh, autumns, winters, <laughs> But then you yeah. know, the, the bedroom is well, no, pink. but I think it's like a virginal. Uh, that's kind of what I think. When you think like his bedroom, you think that is yeah. I guess it's a juxtaposition because like his bedroom, right. given his character, like you'd think would be the opposite, right? Like you would think. if anything, given given the predatory nature of like luring girls into his apartment and then ultimately getting them into the bedroom, I almost think like thematically that like his living room would be pink and then his bathroom or his bedroom would be black or something. Right. Like, Unless you want to go the other way and not to be crass here, but uh, I mean, as if we weren't talking about Ronald McDonald's honker penis, but uh, already, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but uh you know, it could also be, uh, you know, pink, like, I mean, because that's a vaginal ah, color, right? Like so vagina, it's like, yeah. that's where the mm-hmm. pussy happens, right? That's the pussy mm. room. So, like, I mean, Aerosmith wrote a whole ass song about I just it. Didn't ex- I, didn't, I really didn't expect Ryan to say the P word there. That's, that's, that's the pussy room. It's the pussy that's room, a, yeah. Um, I mean, for real, it's, like right? it's like the pussy wagon, but it's the pussy yeah. room. Right. But but yeah. but a whole room of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's that. So creepy. Daniel, we go high low on this. Yeah, show, no kidding. Okay? I didn't expect <laughs> that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah. we 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 bandy about genres, uh, levels of appropriateness. Oh yeah, no, all over the place, dude. Hey, we we earn the red E on our that's true. Uh, on our that's true. Uh, page. We we almost <laughs> called our podcast Labia Cinema, and it was just going to be a full <laughs> podcast. About we were gonna we were gonna try to intellectualize porn. <laughs> <laughs> so now uh, when he I, takes her from behind, what do you think he's saying there? 
Is it an expression of dominance? Notice his hand placement. (laughs) When he uses the ring finger instead of the middle finger for stimulation, what exactly is the filmmaker communicating? Welcome to our our 40 episode series where we seek out the clitoris. Yeah. We might need to do a skit on that. Uh, (laughs) Take out your mining hats. Take out your mining hats. Let's do this. Dude, season two, Ryan, season two of Muffin to Say is going to be completely different. Different kind of muffin. Yeah, hey, absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus so, Christ. So let's go ahead and get back to the film, guys. So moving this thing forward, um, you know, so Haley makes the drinks. They're both enjoying them. She suggests that they have a little photo shoot, you know, like, oh, she's starting to get into it. She's feeling good from the drinks sort of leading him him on and he's already starting to feel a little bit lightheaded before they even like get to shooting and you know we get a lot of that really interesting sort of washed out cinematography as he's sort of blacking out and uh yeah you know very quickly he does pass out and wakes up tied to a chair and that's where we get ryan some of those uh lens flares that you were talking about you know heavy use of blue there And, you know, the sound design is reflective of that with the sort of droning. And, yeah, he wakes up. He doesn't know what's going on. And she basically very quickly starts interrogating about the little girls and the pics on the wall. And also then references their conversations, mentioned that she made multiple personas. And anytime she would talk to him and say that she is older than this, you know, young girl, 14 or whatever, uh, he would stop talking to her. And Ryan, I think it's at this point that I noticed something that you brought up earlier and uh, would like to get sort of just delve a little bit more into this, which is how dependent on the performances this film is. So we, we just mentioned, we talked about, you know, how important the direction and the cinematography is to when you're doing a film like this. And undeniably, the third and arguably most important would be the performances, because if it's we the most important, hands down, yeah. yeah yeah, in this type of film, I think that probably the most important uh, aspect of it, the most important ingredient is the acting. And both of these people, they they both crushed it. Right. There's there was a lot of there. There were a lot of choices made because, uh, look, I mean, look at the script, look at the subject matter and think of how many different ways this could have been played out and, and how many ways this could have been taken and and uh done wrong um you know at the end of the film you know patrick wilson is an evil vile wicked man and yet uh he's still playing it off charismatic and like you know in the not to skip ahead too far it's a pretty simple script also it is uh, sure yeah there, there's the not actual a lot going story on. from beginning to end is pretty straightforward correct the the three acts of the structure are pretty simple uh to narrate and so you're leaning heavily on performances but what i was getting at was that when patrick wilson's tied up and um simulated uh castration is being performed on him you're kind of still in it with him because he's yeah. like you know there's a small small part of you that's like because he's begging you know and and he's uh, and then finally he gives in and like the pathos that you have for his character even though he's the worst kind of human as a predator um 
you know, that's kudos to him, dude, that he took you along for that ride and you're still in it and you're not just like, fuck it, cut his dick off. And there's a, don't get yeah. me wrong. 90% of us should all be fuck it, cut his dick off or balls <laughs> off. But, but there's still like, because of his performance, I think that, you know, he keeps you in with him. Uh, and so that you're with both of these characters for the entirety. And uh, that's, and Elliot as well. I mean, Jesus Christ. It almost made me, I have in my notes, like I'm, I'm actually, I left this film upset that she's in the umbrella academy now i like the umbrella academy i think it's a solid little fun youthful teen superhero romp on netflix but i hate to say this i think her talents are being wasted and hidden i i want her to be in movies all the time i want to see her flexing these skills um you know right after this she did juno which was pretty highly regarded uh at its time especially and um you know i I just i i this really shows you that at 17, she was crushing. And I just want to see more from her. We've seen a ton from Patrick Wilson, everything from Watchmen to, uh, uh, I don't know what all those, By the way, uh, I think uh, the pronouns, uh, Juan I think movies. the pronouns have changed. I think it's him, her, him, yeah. her, I'm sorry. Or they, or they well, yeah. in this particular film, she is playing True. a female. So it uh, is a my, delicate my... line. I appreciate Yeah, that, And, though. and, and again, so, Elliot Page definitely gets the meteor of the two roles, right? Like, and it's the it's the easier of the two characters to play by far because there's so much baked in sympathy, right? Like we right. just talked about it. Like nobody's rooting for Jeff. One hundred percent. Every there there are more people rooting for Darth Vader in Star Wars than there are rooting for <laughs> Jeff in Hard Candy. Right. This is not even the guy you love to hate. He's just outright despicable. And yet, because of the strength of Patrick Wilson's performance, you you end up uh, again, not liking him. But there is a part of you that it does sympathize with him to a degree. And that's also inherent in the power dynamic, right? So anytime right. the, the animal is is trapped, you always feel sympathy for the animal, even if it's rabid, even if it just, you know, destroyed the town. You're like, oh, they're trapped. It also brings you know? up like, the so there's... concept of justice because you feel like, yes, he's sick and he has issues and he's a creeper that needs to do time. He needs to be behind bars. He needs therapeutic help. But does he deserve... Because at the time... You don't know if he actually killed that girl or not, um, Donna. Yeah. You don't know. And he is so convincing with his delivery, his way of manipulation, that you're just, you start to question in this movie. At least that's what I did the first time I saw. I saw this movie yeah. when I was young. Right. And I, I remember thinking, I wonder if, I wonder if Elliot is just a serial killer finding an excuse to almost Dexter like. I wondered that as well. For a second. I think that's an interesting angle to consider. Yeah, for a second I remember feeling that way because Patrick Wilson was just so convincing. Like so it's just sort of <laughs> you just do really you really feel is it justifiable to to kill this man who obviously he is a creeper, but does should he just be behind bars or should you execute him? Should you yeah. take his balls or savagely out? mutilate him? Yeah. Right. So yeah. it, where yeah, do you draw that? A lot line. of conflict, a lot of questioning. It yeah. really is, you know, and that's and that's one of the that's one of the aspects of film that I enjoy, right? Like I'm one of those people that enjoys controversial films that, you know, aren't afraid to sort of push buttons and make you reconsider things, you know, whether it's like old Spike Lee films, but specifically I'm thinking of going back all the way to like 1932 or so to Fritz Lang's M, 
And I don't know if either of you have seen that film. That's Peter um, Lorre, right? Correct. Yeah. And I remember that was the first time where, you know, again, for the for two thirds of the film, you know, you're hearing about this Peter Lorre character. You're seeing his shadows and he's abducting these kids. And then that third act lets him expose himself, you know, as somebody who knows that he's sick and needs help and all of these things. And it's like I, I remember, you know, it's one of those to your point, you know, it's like I can't excuse or justify what this guy's doing like he definitely needs to serve his time and serve his penance but like there is a scenario where maybe this guy's not a hundred percent evil and you know is the victim of childhood trauma and especially when you really do look at the way that you know um like childhood traumas and sexual traumas like manifest over time Mm -hmm. there, there is an element of you know sympathy to be had if you learn that like oh, you know, this guy's messed up because, you know, his dad or uncle or whoever did something to him and it persisted. And it's like, man, again, I can't excuse the action, but I re- it's really unfortunate. Uh, it's just a bad situation all around, you know? Yeah. And then there are some that feel, even if there's a suspicion, just get rid of this person or cut his balls off. So it, it yeah. really does depend on the person. You got your Judge Dreads and uh, <laughs> that are, you know, about, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, it's, it's a, and there's obviously no easy answers here, you know, and every it's one of those things where every situation kind of has to be taken on its own merits and judged in and of itself. And there's so many different circumstances to measure and. Da, 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 da. So, but you know, but this film does a good job. You know, again, we're never, we, we never at any point root for Jeff. You know, we oh, always definitely. want to see him brought to justice for his actions and, and, and all of that. But again, you know, Patrick Wilson toes a line that I don't know that too many other actors could have done where that uh, is a it's, razor. It's very impressive. Line. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it's like this and Thanos are the two. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, got a point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, no, yeah, it's yeah, just that the the the, uh, the performance, but also the directing. Credit where due. David Slade crushed it. You know, in the way that, like, think of the formidable task he had on his plate, giving the script and say, okay, now you know you got to stay with these two characters for the entire film and keep it interesting and not just completely want the one mutilated because otherwise you're out of the film. Like once you want him to die, then you're just like, can we kill him already? Now you're kind of out yeah, of it. You, right? you just like, want that would take you out of starring a young girl instead of Charles. And when Bronson. it doesn't, when they don't give it to you until the very end, like you're going to get frustrated. So he's got to be charismatic enough. And the whole thing's got to play out interestingly enough in camera. And there's got to be enough cat and mouse back and forth to keep the viewer uh, engaged all the way through to the bitter end. And I think this film did a, a surprising job. of. And that. there's two things that I noticed in this movie that it's two things, two skills that both these characters happen to have inherently that I would never have. And I think most regular people would it. What is that? Uh, Haley is very good at tying knots. For some reason, she is incredibly good at tying knots, and Jeff is incredibly good at getting away. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted yeah, to well, say she, that. You know, she does carry around all those books, you know. The, she's got, like, the medical <laughs> book. Knot so book. She's probably got, like, a knot tying book that she got from Weebelos or Brownies yeah, or whatever it is. Exactly. Scouts honor. <laughs> no kidding. That's what I was thinking, too. I was waiting for her to mention that she was in the Scouts or something. I yeah, mean, she right. bought the Girl Scout cookies. She, <laughs> she did the did. Scouts Honor thing. <laughs> it was like right a lot there. of little, right. There's a lot of little winks and nods to the uh Also, you know, something we haven't touched on is uh, the little bit of humor that is sort of woven into the movie that a lot True. of it 
landed for me and I thought it was especially from from uh, Haley's end and some of the comments she was making I was definitely chuckling and and la- you know you don't laugh yeah. out loud but you're definitely oh that's really funny <laughs> that's, a, that's a good line there yeah good well line. and I think it's also one of those things too where it's such a tense scenario you know and typically when you have those you know really strong moments of tension like just a little anything can kind of break the ice and elicit a chuckle you know like you get that feeling like you really notice it if you're when you're in a theater or you know when we used to be in theaters back in the before times well i'm in um, i'm in know, the south and, and we can just sort go of, to theaters now oh lucky <laughs> you i'm in la county so uh <laughs> it's not happening for a long time yeah we um, we never close theaters here we just talk about the you're movie in florida in the theater right <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, but yeah, dude. So, um, but, yeah, you know, uh, there would be, like, you know, those moments where, again, you know, just the tension's really brought up. And then whether it's, you know, the comic relief line or, you know, somebody can cough or something or say something or scream out. And then, like, you'll you'll hear a significant portion of the audience, like, nervous laugh. Right? Yeah. So I kind of wonder, like, how much of that is, like coming from that same a little place. bit of levity just to reset and then you can build yeah. the tension all over again so, yeah it's a, it's good i, I remember after uh after the castration scene when she was at the garbage disposal and she was talking about the shopkeeper <laughs> she had in high school who cut his thumb off and uh came back the next day with his thumb sewn back on and uh was like well you could still like hitchhike and stuff yeah <laughs> and then she, she throws the alleged that was a great one the alleged testicles in the drain and she goes i guess they weren't yeah, brass garbage disposal. Goes, i guess they weren't <laughs> brass. that just got me yep <laughs> well, yeah, and it has. It's actually interesting that you brought it up because it has a similar effect to uh, this sort of next scene right here, which is where Haley starts going through Jeff's stuff and she finds the suggestive letters, and that's when she uh, fires up the sort of computer and is sort of you know insinuating that she's gonna like find the child porn and all that stuff on there, and she mentions it, and then there's sort of a brief pause, and then all of a sudden like she jumps into action, right? Like, the, and it becomes really high paced and she's running around looking in different uh, pieces of furniture and like looking for saves and like the safes in the wall and the floor and all of these different things. And the filmmaking style reflects that, right? We get a bunch, we get a lot more, you know, handheld movement, uh, a lot, you know, faster cuts, uh, a lot more um, action from the actual actors in terms of movement. And I think that, it sort of has the same effect that Daniel you just mentioned right now, where with as the um, uh, as the lines of levity, you know, where it's a it's a bit of a reset because if just nothing happens forever and there's no sort of palate cleanser, then you know we can start to get bored after a little bit, right? But when you have those moments where you just suddenly ramp it up real quick and you get that heart rate back up. It's a nice little, again, palate cleanser, and then we can sort of come back down. And uh, the film has a very instinctive and intuitive sense of what those beats are and plays to it really well. Definitely. And it also so physically taxing for being in such a small – like physically taxing for both for both actors. Just the the amount that yeah. they had to go through, the running around the house, the being tied up – Oh. Yeah, especially Patrick Wilson getting tied up, tied down to chairs, tied up to chairs, like, right. you know, the having to stand on his tiptoes, fucking jumping on roofs, jumping off roofs. Exhausting. Like. Even emotionally, <laughs> emotionally taxing as well, you know, the crying sure. and putting yourself in that position as an actor. Um, I couldn't even imagine 100%, going that place, you know? And I'm glad that you brought that up, Ryan, because that's another thing that we don't really, uh, we haven't mentioned enough. You know, every now and then you hear 
comments made about an actor's decision to take a role being brave, right? And sometimes that comes off like super bullshitty and self-congratulatory. Yeah. But other times, like when when anytime an actor agrees to take on the role of a child molester or something like that, like we know from experience, especially Ryan and us being, you know, in different degrees of the filming industry and having worked on films, like we know that the public at large will often see actors as their characters. So when you take a role where you play a child molester, you know it's only a matter of time before someone finds you in the street and wants to punch you in the face because you're a child molester instead of an actor playing a child right. molester, right? right? And so I am always very impressed. It's like, dude, um, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, I forget the the guy's name in Little Children, the guy who played Freddy, um, you know, where he was playing the, the child molester, you know, Peter Laurie back in the day. Um, I forget the other actors, but the guy from happiness, uh, you know, all these guys where they have to play these, these very sick people. Uh, Again, it's just kudos to you because again, I know for any, and, and Patrick Wilson gets work. Patrick Wilson doesn't need to take this, this role. And the fact that the movie was made for less than a million dollars, I'm sure he didn't get paid up the butt. He's certainly not making Aquaman money. Right. So like. I mean, kudos to him for for he was not in even Aquaman, having a, actually. <laughs> no, I know that's why I brought it up. That's oh, what I'm okay, he's not it. making Aquaman money in this, like, yeah. but he still sold the hell out. Got it, know? got it, got I it. I forgot got it. how good yeah. he was, and, actually. Uh, he yeah. has he's making plenty of movies now, but he's not really flexing those muscles as much. And seeing him in this movie just reminded me why he gets that those you know the amount of work that he gets. He's very dependable, and it's just amazing what he's able to pull uh, in Hard Candy. Definitely, man. Definitely. So, yeah, from there we sort of get, like I said, that little bit of a, a reset uh, with the sort of uh, pumped up filmmaking style. And it's not long before Haley finds a box with a gun after finding a safe. Uh, and then she finds, like, the, the main safe in this very conspicuous spot, right? It's under these, like, rocks on his living room table, which sounds weird if you haven't seen the movie, but it's very it's classy. It's the most Hollywood the way, way, the way to hide that shit. I swear. <laughs> It really was right, and again with the fucking making me feel like shit. I know, with right? My, <laughs> my living room table. I need to set my table High class game up. Shit. <laughs> right. I need to go get some river stones and uh... <laughs> do a Zen garden in the backyard. Oh, God, right? I need to feng shui the shit out of my get house. Get your yoga studio going. The stones alone right. would break my bank. Like those stones are not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, man. And so uh, you know, so obviously, you know, something's amiss there. Jeff's trying to bargain once she, you know, she finds. It, tries to use some psychoanalysis. She's not biting, you know, figures the password has something to do with Janelle, which is correct because it does. Janelle is the girl that he probably, but we don't know 100% yet, had sex with uh, at, at when she was underage. That was uh, his first, right? Yeah. That-, that. And honestly, I mean, possibly his only? His first do, do, prey? Do we know 100% that, like, he's like a serial predator? Because they, I mean... The only other thing we see is the picture of the girl, the Donna chick. But then, like, we we learn at the end that he didn't have anything directly to do with that, even though he says that he he watched the girl get killed by someone else or something like that. Yeah, they wanted it filmed or something. Like he did a yeah, snuff. Yeah, he did. Fo- that, yeah, did photos yeah. or something like that in a snuff fashion. But uh, yeah, so so yeah, so I don't know if I, I still to this day I don't know if it's like a serial thing, uh, uh, if if he's got like a ton of girls that he's done with this with, or if it was just her and then he moved on to Haley from there. Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter, of course. It's just I just realized that right now. Yeah, well, because that the the first 
the, was Janelle. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was back a long time ago, right? That was uh, many years ago. Is that well, correct? It just says 89 was part of the password. Yeah, was it 89? So oh, okay. Woman. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Then, yeah, he's probably when she was guessing the password. Predator, um, yeah, because he said, I did it when we were both very young, you know, yeah. kind of like trying to justify it in a way. So, um, like, I was young, too, you know, so. Yeah, 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 which which comes up again very, very soon. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, yeah. So, but, yeah, but this is actually the moment where, again, he, uh, for a moment, it seems like he might be able to get away. You know, she finds the gun. She ends up opening, you know, figuring out uh, that it has something to do with the 913 date, which is also, you know, the handle, uh, his online handle, that Lensman 913. So, figures out that connection. And I love that you say uh, Lensman like he's Jewish, like he's uh, Lensman, like it's, like it's Sarah Silverman. <laughs> My name is Harold Lensman. <laughs> yeah. I take photographs. Would you like to hire me? Not Superman. I'll give you a good it's deal. Superman. <laughs> <laughs> that Superman doesn't know what he's doing. It's Stuart Superman. He's a, he's a good boy. <laughs> Why can't you be more like that Superman fellow from down the street? Ah, oh, Beatrice, will you get off my ass? Don't you know I just got back from work? Oh, what happened man. here? <laughs> Lensman. Lensman. Offer just... him a little offer him a one off pronunciation of his online handle. Doing fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> his name is Len Lensman. Len Lensman. Len- Lenny Lensman. Anyways, and uh, she actually ends up, so he, you know, attacks her. looks like he's going to get away for a minute, but she's got saran wrap up her sleeve and ends up uh, wrapping it around his face. He can't breathe, almost passes out and asphyxiates, but she pulls it away at the last minute and tears it open to make sure that he stays alive, uh, but he's still passed out. So, guys, when he wakes up, this is where uh, we officially make our turn into the territory that we... Knew all along was was happening, but we haven't gotten there yet. And uh, that's he wakes up uh, almost completely naked, uh, strapped to a metal bed with a big bag of ice on his junk. They Who hasn't the been there? Hey, we have all been there. For me, it, <laughs> yeah. for me, it was the side. I, I'm one of those people who had a kidney stolen in Mexico on a drunken night. But, you know, cool. eh, I suppose it could have been worse. Could have been my balls. Yeah. Man. <laughs> and they discuss the mariba- uh, the whereabouts of this missing girl that he's got a picture of and you know, he says he doesn't know what he's talking about. And that's when Haley busts out the razor and the shave cream and says that she's going to castrate him. Uh, but that, you know, based on his reaction, he isn't quite numb enough yet. So they're going to have to wait just a little bit longer before they get going. And uh, that's when she is actually decides to craft an email to this Janelle chick, uh, kind of, and and I, at the end of the day, it's really to sort of document and expose who he is and put it out there for the world to see. Uh, and then he's going to try to, you know, use some quick little reverse psychology to get out of it. I have another clip of that that I'm going to go ahead and play for us right here. It changes you when you hurt somebody. Oh, and you speak from experience, I guess. I've just lived. Unlike you. The things you do wrong... They haunt you. Tell me what you're haunted by. You want to remember this day when you're with a guy? On a date? On your wedding night? Because I promise you, you will. Don't do that to yourself. Wow. You know, that is so thoughtful. You are speaking to me so selflessly. I mean, you just don't want me to castrate you for my own benefit? Wow, I'm touched. 
Jeff, why don't we imagine someone saying the same thing to you at a random moment? Imagine that when you downloaded this little girl, I was sitting by your side saying, stop, don't do that to yourself. Would you have listened? Stop. Don't do that to yourself. Stop. Don't do that to yourself. Stop. Stop. Okay, guys, so... Before we get to the actual castration scene, the one thing that I want to talk about here, we touched on it earlier, uh, is the pacing of this film. Now, personally, yes. this is a huge aspect of effective filmmaking for me, and I feel like it's not brought up enough. And I really don't know exactly where it falls between the director and the editor. I don't know if it's on one, the other, or the synthesis of both. Depends um, on the movie. Yeah, but pacing is... Super, super huge, man. I mean, there are so many films where I'm like, dude, you could have just cut, you know, one or two seconds here, few seconds over here. And the net effect is, you know, the movie is seven, seven minutes shorter overall, but it's tighter. It moves quickly and we haven't lost any sort of content. Right. Uh, I watched so, a many, movie recently. Uh, dub, so many double entendres for castration in that phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little snip here is all I'm asking for, you Just, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lose, and then we lose a couple of key components <laughs> to yeah, this film. Yeah, and look, I understand when you want to slow things down and you're doing like an art film, right? But like oftentimes it doesn't do this. Perfect example. I watched a film recently. Uh, what was it? Uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99. You guys ever see that film? No. No. Okay, so it's it's it stars Vince Vaughn, and he actually does a. It's that one that he got super ripped for, and he does a surprisingly good job. He plays a very atypical Vince Vaughn character. Uh, he's very sort of like you know tough guy, conservative, quiet, uh, keeps to himself. You know, he's not like the swinging, happy, go lucky, cool guy. Anyways, point is. Um, there, there are, there are so it's, it's, it's an action movie, right? It's got Don Johnson as the bad, you know, uh, jailhouse guy. Right. And, uh, you know, there are scenes where it like shows him getting out of the car and walking up to a house. Right. And instead of just, you know, showing him get out of the car, close the door and then cut to him, like coming up to the door and knocking, he'll just show us like the 12 seconds of him walking from the car to the door. And in and of itself, it, it doesn't really sound like a big deal. But when you add that up over the course of the film, it slows everything down. Yeah. And again, right. if you're doing an art film, if you're Tarkovsky or someone like that, it makes perfect sense. But I feel like so often you get these action. Look, Ryan, you've spoken about it. It's what you hate about all those 60s and 70s you know, action films is Oftentimes. the pacing and how they're so slowed down and everything's yeah. drawn out. And you get a 45 second wide shot of a guy walk into his car and it's like, dude, I thought we were, like, chasing bad guys here. We talked about that in uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie last season. Yeah. Um, and I've also referenced it in movies like Steve McQueen's Bullet, uh, where things happen in real time. And it's like, come on. That can, that can <laughs> happen in some movies that have a lot of horses. Like, I had to cover Blood Rain, unfortunately. <laughs> and that movie is, I think, 25 minutes of horse riding. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> 
Dude, that was just one of those directors that loved horses. Yeah. Probably a yeah. little bit too much. My buddy actually got to interview him and did like a three-part interview or two-part interview. Oh, wow. It's very interesting That's stuff. Tough. Yes, very interesting. Was the director a horse? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That would make so much sense. That's that would make horse. so much sense. Yeah. You know what this movie needs? More horses. <laughs> So we got the audience research back, and uh, we're going to need 30% more carrots in there. <laughs> Nay, more carrot, I tell more you. More carrots Nay. in there. <laughs> Nay, I will not cut the <laughs> 25 minutes of horses out. Um, yeah, I, uh, so getting back to, uh, getting back to this film, um, not only the pacing, Jason, but also the um, something I noticed about the castration scene in particular and, and this whole the way this whole thing played out is the camera work and so much as um, the camera angles. So uh, when you're tight on... Patrick Wilson's face and you're watching the wincing and he's sweating and panic. And then eventually he gives in uh, to this scenario because he realizes there's nothing he can do. And then there's also a lot of like looking down his chest um, from his POV at uh, Elliot Page's character um, mm -hmm. who's doing the surgery. And so and then but then there's also close ups of Elliot Page's character doing the work. And so like depending on where the camera is placed. I think does a lot to where your pathos goes and this back and forth of camera placement is really jostling to who you're with in that moment of, you know, something so traumatic, right? Like, did you yeah. guys kind of get any of that or am I, did you oh, notice yeah, any of definitely. that? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, it's, it speaks to what we talked about earlier where a lot of it is just coverage, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's effective coverage and it's very deliberate coverage, you know? Right. Um, and, and again, you know, so but I think it's also editing too. I think it's the way that it's put together in, in post, you know? Sure. Yeah. But, like said, but, but, but again, to ahead. my point earlier, it's like, you know, a certain film. So Eli Roth is going to show you a close up of the genital mutilation, right? Right. But David Slade does. And I actually think it's at least as effective and, and allows you to capture a wider audience. David Slade films the close up of Patrick Stewart's reaction with his super sweaty face and extreme close up with the sounds of the castration. Right. And again, it's a different way to do the same thing. But for someone like me who, who really, I mean, I like, I like graphic horror films when they deal with like monsters and, you know, shit that is like torture is a little bit too real dude you know like I'm, I'm like I have co-workers where they're like hey dude you know look at this video of you know this uh, the the mafia cutting this fool's head off it's like no I don't need to see that it doesn't do anything for me dude like that's just that's just this is brutal and violent for the sake of it right but like if it's like hey Sam Raimi made a movie where this troll's head explodes I'm like sign me up and do it twice you know <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so for someone like me, like this sort of, you know, filmmaking style, uh, it, it allows me to enjoy the film in a way that I wouldn't have if it was done in a significantly more graphic fashion. N nothing's more terrifying than your own imagination, right? To fill in the blanks yeah. and, and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah, 100 percent, dude. So and this film really, really leans into that. So, yeah, um, I wanted to ask you guys this. I missed it in the moment. It comes up a little bit later. So. You know, he it's it's kind of castration time. She has, she hasn't done it quite yet, um, but he ends up squirting a bunch of bleach in his mouth and then like shaves his balls to like prepare for the thing. And then she like goes to the roof for some reason, and that's when yeah, I didn't understand Sandra that. O's character sees her, and and that gets planted later. 
I, I, I don't. Do I think that was her the planning roof? the noose just in case she needed it. Correct. Oh, just, okay. Yeah, she, they, she, uh, they, they this is basically Home Alone. Uh, <laughs> 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 She's just setting up traps and shit. Home Alone sexual predator version. Clive, Clive Barker presents Home Alone. I love Man, it. Chris Columbus really took a right turn on Home Alone 5. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Da, da, da. <laughs> can somebody can, can one of the fans cut the dun, 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 while she's walking around the room? <laughs> Absolutely. Dude, if any if anybody listening makes that happen, fifty bucks. No joke. Uh, I it. mean, I think Send I'm going to make us. that happen. I'll take your fifty bucks. Tell that's me, I won't more, slap. That's so much more than we've ever made on this program. Why do they get fifty bucks and we do a whole program and don't make that? Well, it's yeah, just absolutely. The way it works. Oh man. <laughs> Um, but uh, but yeah, so okay, so she was tying the noose up there. I, at least it makes sense. They could have given, they literally could have done one other shot. They could have done a medium of her, you know, throwing a rope around the chimney. That's all I'm saying. Oh yeah, they could. Yeah, they make it really <laughs> mysterious. I, I was confused too the first time. I was like, "What's she doing? Installing cable?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the direct reception. TV reception's not coming in. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'd wonder too honestly if maybe like it was just a weird angle and it was like she was just like the sidewalk was on a hill and the garden that Sandra Owen oh was like recessed or something but either way uh, we got to the bottom of it we can go ahead and move on so um from there she goes back in and he struggles and you know he's trying to escape and she can't uh one line stood out to me uh Daniel to your point of sort of like funny lines is yeah uh she goes, uh, she looks at him and she's like, oh my God, sorry, you're getting bored. We got to get this show on the road. And I thought that was like a very funny sort of little meta line of like, oh, we're an hour into it. And yeah, we still haven't gotten to the castration. So uh, let's right, go ahead and jump right, right in. I love that. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a funny little meta line that I picked up on. And uh, I love that. Yeah. And then from there, and then Ryan, I'll see if you kind of agree with this, but, um, uh, you know, kind of similar to Peter Laurie's monologue in in M they do give Patrick Wilson sort of a little monologue that attempts to somewhat justify perhaps how he got in this mentality and it has to do with him being a young kid and I think he's 10 and there was this five-year-old girl who used to like jump out of baths and jump on him naked and like it wasn't sexual but there might have been a little bit either way the mom found out sometime got upset and like I guess like burned his burned his junk on like a stove or something like that. Um, and so it was interesting because it, it's a, it's a very effective monologue and, and I don't know Ryan, if you thought, but I immediately thought of your friends and neighbors and Jason Patrick, Absolutely. And that whole thing. Uh, I would, I will say that I do not think it's that impressive of a monologue. Like that Jason Patrick monologue is just stupid. Like there's no reason for that to be as powerful as it is. Um, but it is, it is, it is mildly effective, but I just, there was no way for me not to think of that. I think Jason Patrick is a poor man's Patrick Wilson. Anyway, I think <laughs> they're kind of the same deal, right? Like Patrick Wilson is just Jason Patrick 2.0. Like it's could be Jason. I don't Patrick know. Wilson. Like Jason Patrick has that kind of creep factor. Like, I feel like he's not that different from his character in your friends and neighbors. Where I feel like Patrick Wilson's like a stand-up dude. I feel like Patrick Wilson's just a blonde Jason Patrick. <laughs> you know what's funny, by the way? I also picked up on this earlier. I think it's hilarious that like Patrick Wilson is the go-to everyman oh. who replaced Luke Wilson as the go-to everyman, yet they are not from the same Wilson family. That is insane. But... <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So apparently there's just something about being a Wilson. <laughs> they should that should be a reality show. Uh, <laughs> Meet the Wilsons. Something about Wilson. <laughs> We're not brothers, but we get the same parts. We're the Wilson friends. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a modern day like Wayne's brothers with white yeah. dudes. <laughs> 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 Give me a high five. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, uh, you know, he's so he gets that little monologue, you know, somewhat effective. But again, you know, doesn't explain the horrific things that he's doing. He cries, he begs, he pleads. Uh, she's not having it, uh, but does say that she can make it all go away by letting her send the email to Janelle that basically confesses the crime, exposes him to the world. And, you know, she'll walk away and let him live. He basically just freaks out harder, and then uh, basically his mind breaks, and I think he just kind of disassociates from everything um, because he just sort of just goes completely out of it, and, you know, the filmmaking kind of reflects that. You know, we get the swelling sort of drone sound and, you know, washed-out visuals, and from there we really see or we start to hear the actual surgery being, you know, undergone, and that's... Again, to, to me, it's it's just as if not more effective than actually showing it. You know, it's mm-hmm. all close-ups, you know, wide shots, um, squishing sound effects, scraping sound effects, cutting sound effects, asking which testicle he wants to go first. Um, well, and, and she's uh, taken some of his camera equipment to set up a viewing station of sorts. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where she's playing a castration. We find out later in the film that she's playing a castration videotape. Uh, that's just, you know, showing a castration happening, but we're led to believe, and as is Patrick Wilson's character is led to believe that uh, he's watching his own castration. Cause she sets up a camera, hooks it up with component cables to a television um, and swings the TV around for his own viewing pleasure, which also kind of adds to the cringe worthy moment. So even though we never get like a direct high def view of it, it's always like obscured and blurred in the background. This like, you know, the surgery going on kind of as a little, offhanded reminder yeah. Yeah. this movie excels Yeesh. in ambiguity for sure I think when it it's does, at it's best right. it's when you're not 100% <laughs> sure of anything yes totally yeah no that's that's a that's a great point point. and then after the actual deed that's where we get the moment you talked about earlier Daniel with where you know she feeds his balls to the garbage disposal makes that funny remark about them not being brass and then she uh, says that she's gonna go ahead and shower up and wrap up here now that it's done yeah now the yeah, now, uh, during this, uh, so, you know, basically she's like, okay, I'm going to go, blah, 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 she goes away, we hear the shower start, and that's when Patrick Wilson uh, shows off his uh, dexterity and <laughs> is able to finally escape the ropes, and he does break free, and for a moment, you know, he's going to run out, and then he's going to call the cops, but he decides against it and decides, you know what, I'm going to get a scalpel and shank this bitch. And so he goes to do so. Lo and behold, it turns out to be a trap as he pulls the shower curtain open and she's not he also there. Here he's got his ball still. That's a big. Yeah, because yes. he, he was That's so calm. Like he was he looked down the way we would all look down if we were worried that our balls weren't there anymore. And he goes, I'm complete. I'm, he says something like that, like, I'm whole, I'm whole. So I just wanted to, wanted to touch on like, that. Continue. Sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 no for sure. So, <laughs> um, and, uh, but then, yeah, so she, uh, she ends up tasing the oh, shit out yeah. of him, basically, is what happens there. And she, like, leaps on him from behind and just, like, psh, 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 
And eventually it's, you know, after taking a dozen, two dozen of those, whatever, uh, he passes out and once again wakes up tied to a chair, except this time instead of being seated, uh, he's actually standing upright. So he's, you know, sort of on his tiptoes with a noose. One of those things where if he makes one wrong move, uh, you know, that noose is going to take effect and uh, he's going to be gone. So... From here, we get the Sandra O scene, where she comes over and she sort of grills her about what she was doing on the roof. And it's kind of funny because when all is said and done, I mean, you could argue that this scene isn't really essential because nothing happens from it and just the way that the, you know, resolution takes place at the very end. Um, but, like, why do you think they got, either of you can take this, why do you think they put this scene in there and had the Sandra O scene? Go ahead, Ryan. Uh, it could be palate cleanser. It could be um, just adding maybe a a lure of danger for um, Elliot Page's character in the sense that up till now, she's had the upper hand uh, entirely. Uh, you know, from yeah. the moment that she drugged uh, Patrick Wilson to, you know, he did break free, came after her. Very quickly, she gets the upper hand back with the taser. Uh, there's a bit of a tussle in the bathtub where, you know, we think that maybe he could out... Uh, muscle or whatnot um, because of the size difference, but he she just has him in such a vulnerable position and all she needs to do is touch him with that thing once. So then, you know, we've got to keep her on her back foot yeah. a little bit, right? And, and add some element of um, will she get away with this or where is this going or, and all of that. And so um, the fact that the, we've now introduced another character into the film kind of gives a, a touch of that in going into the third act, which is where we're at now. So um, I don't know. What are I your thoughts? I feel like it touches on the fact that she is, we've been seeing her basically owning this dude for the most of the movie, just being mostly right. in control for the most part. And when, when things have gone chaotic, for some reason, he's not very familiar with his own home because she's very good at sneaking up on him in his own place, which is the weirdest <laughs> shit. Um, but anyway, it's not like she's Spider-Man. She, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it was to show here's an actual interaction between an adult and a kid. Because you uh, you really notice how much of a kid she is to this woman's eyes. Wow, that's a it, good point. All of a sudden, yeah. it's very obvious that she's asking her if she can babysit and this and that. So it's a it's an interesting right. dynamic to see it change like that just before she goes back into being badass again. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, I had kind of thought that it was just it was kind of like the only way that the filmmakers could add any more tension to what was already there, just because. You know, the deed's kind of done, and yeah, even though he's strung up, it's like we've, we've already seen him strung up, and he kind of got out, and so I feel like that could sort of easily just be like a repetition of the previous scenario, and so I think it was just really, at the end of the day, a little bit ham-fisted, maybe, as we like to say on well, this program. And, and to um, your point, Daniel, she uses that as a weapon back to being a kid again, uh, coming full circle, yeah. so she's a, she starts as a kid, and she ends as a kid, because as, uh, oh, damn it, what's her name, J Janelle? Yes. Yes. Yeah, as Janelle is driving up the way after she's been contacted, um, she starts leaning right back into that, oh, I'm just a little kid and I'm going to take my clothes off and run into her arms as a means to make him commit suicide, right? So, yeah. um, you know, it's a br brief reminder to put her back in that role after she's just had this really empowering 
uh, castration scene and tasing scene and have all these big, empowering, uh, bold scenes, you know, it strips all that away again and brings you right back full circle to remind you what we're dealing with here and and the di- and the character dynamics of the two, and um, which then gives that much more gravity to where she just was as well and, and really structures that, uh, you know, as a supporting beam for that part of the story as well as uh, that powerful, you know, role that she was just in. She was there as a 14 year old kid. So exactly. yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with all that, man. That's a great take. Yeah, dude, that's a, it's a really interesting observation that, that didn't occur to me. And I got to say, dude, for what it's worth, man, I know you think you're uh, just Mr. Dick and fart jokes, dude, but you have been holding your own <laughs> here on this, dude, making really excellent, poignant observations, Thanks, dude. Jason. Like, I, I'm I'm very impressed with uh, what you're bringing to the table here today. And uh, you definitely need to give yourself a little uh, more credit than you think just with regards to your, like, pure understanding of cinema and ability to like, talk the language, dude. It's I like to awesome. set a low bar. <laughs> so yeah so now obviously we we are kind of wrapping things up right um after the whole sandra o scene uh we 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 have janelle she's been contacted uh she's on her way over here Haley lets jeff know um that you know basically like hey one last chance if you want to just go ahead and uh well because what because well, I think he gives her one last chance, and then he says no, but that's when he attacks her. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. So he's able to attack her, and then he's able to get free, and then that's when we get, like, she basically runs away and gets back, and she, you know, escapes to the roof, quote-unquote, but it's really just yet another trap to get him up there um, so that, you know, he can do the ultimate deed. And I do like his strategy of getting her off guard by kind of antagonizing her after the interaction with with the neighbor because he makes fun of her inability to come up with excuses as to like him being food poison, like he has food poisoning or whatever. And he's throw- he starts making fun of her about it. He, yeah. He's like, is that, is that the best you could come yeah. up with? I'll, you know, and, she's like, <laughs> and that's what kind <laughs> right. of propels yeah. the movie forward. Cause he's able to get out. And, yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. He, he's not stupid. That's for sure that the movie shows he's kind of clever as well. So it's a lot of back and forth. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, and it's uh, he's clever enough to where you think for a minute maybe he might get the upper hand, but like you know, still never yep. does, and she's able to go toe to toe with him the whole time because obviously they want to you know have her remain the hero, and so, but yeah, and then that sort of sets up our uh, you know a good old fashioned rooftop showdown as so many films like to end on. Usually it's an action movie starring Willis or Schwarzenegger, <laughs> but in this case. Uh, it's a weird little drama with Patrick Wilson and uh, Elliot Page. So, yeah, get him up on the roof. And uh, we do get a moment where, you know, basically after sort of going through all of this, uh, Jeff seemingly, you know, does sort of admit to himself and the world uh, that he is a pedophile. I'm going to play that moment real quick before we talk about it. You're so good. You're so fucking good. You're just like her. You're just like her. You're all just fucking like her. You want to drive a man fucking crazy? Then go! Then you go on your fucking way! Then go! Go! You go on your fucking way! Go! 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 You're right. You're right, Haley. Thank you. Thank you. This is me. This is who I am. Thank you. Thank you for helping me see it. So I guess my question to you guys is, do you think that 
Do you think that he really does have a sort of awakening by the end, or do you think it's just a sort of exhaustion or temporary insanity or something else? I feel like there's definitely a sense of denial in how he makes himself feel like it's okay for his behavior, his habits. And he had never really fully, I think he leaned a lot on excuses for, for how he felt and never fully embraced the fact that he is a monster. And I think yeah. by the, by Haley putting him in this predicament, by putting him through this emotional just journey, this emotional roller coaster of just insanity, because she met him of like they basically met craziness levels. Like every time one would get a little crazier, the other one would try to do something crazier, and it eventually allowed him to be himself and realize I'm just going to be this now. Why am I always putting on a mask and trying to pretend like I'm normal? Like he even says earlier in the movie, ask my friends. Like I'm a good guy. But that's because he's been putting on this mask this whole time. And I think in that moment, he's fucking taking off the mask. I'm just going to be the monster that I am. Yeah. 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 I don't think uh, I I think all of us are the heroes of our own story. Right, Jason? You and I have talked about that in other Mm -hmm. episodes where um, I don't think I think often. I think oftentimes uh, in scenarios in our lives, in reality, um, you know, true villains get there step by step by step. So you don't just wake up one day as, you know, a uh, bank robber. You you know, you shoplift first and you see if you can get away with it and you kind of dip your toe in the water. And even as kids, you know, you uh, do something small and then when you get away with it, then you up the ante a little bit and up the ante a little bit until you get to a... Um, you know, and because and some of it's for the thrill and the adrenaline rush. So once that leaves, because you know you've got this down pat, then you scale it up a bit. So uh, that's why when you asked earlier if, you know, when you said we didn't know if uh, Janelle um, and then Donna by proxy um, were the only ones he was involved with, I have a hard time believing that. I think that he yeah. number one probably scaled up to to Janelle. And maybe went younger and younger um, and worked his way into being a predator. Also, you know, once you get a taste for something and you get away, get away with it, um, I think you kind of crave that again. Uh, I think there's always the devil on your shoulder, right? Like sure. to get you back into it. And, yeah, we've and all he kind of mentions that, too, like at a, at a certain right. point, you know, when he's he's trying to do it for selfish reasons. But there's obviously truth behind it when he talks about how, you know, if you do this thing, like it's going to be with you forever. And every single time you're intimate with someone, you're going to think about this moment. And right, trust right. me, you don't do it to yourself, you know. And um, and again, that's that, you know, sort of those moments we talk about earlier where it sort of toes the line. And it's like, wow, that's it's interesting. It gives him. It's kind of like he 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 gets it, but he just can't admit it, and and so I guess that kind of does dovetail into this sort of third act anime where he finally. I would agree. I think he I, th- I think he's sort of been broken down, right? It's like the way that you know a, a cult or a military or whatever it is, you know, needs to break you down to zero, and then you know I think that's him being broken down to zero and just being like, all right, yep, yeah, yeah. As he literally says, "This is who I am," and I think it's just a. I think it's an honest. Uh, uh, an honest uh, just admittance. walking outside his house with a damn steak knife. Which, <laughs> wow! So, Mrs. Roberts, yep, just chasing this bitch up on the roof. Don't mind me. Yep. <laughs> When's trash day? Me, me and my niece, we play this game all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you know, in terms of the film, though, Janelle's on her way. Uh, he does chase her up to the roof. He's wrecked with guilt. He doesn't want Janelle to see him like this. He still obviously has feelings for her, even if 
she was underage. You know, we do get the sense that, like, this is his the one, yeah. right? The the girl that he pines after, the girl that's the answer to his dreams, that, you know, probably one of those guys, like, if I just had her in my life, everything would be okay. Even though that wouldn't be the case, right? He'd probably still be an underage predator and all of those things. But just in terms of understanding where his character is at, uh, you know, from a mental standpoint, I think it's probably one of those scenarios. And... As she does pull up, Haley basically just convinces him finally. You know, she he, she breaks him down. You know, she's been telling him the whole thing like, look, dude, just do this. Just do this. Just do this. Just do this. And finally, he's like, again, we mentioned a minute ago, he's broken down to zero. And so, yeah, he's like, you know what? Yes, this is who I am. Yes, I need to pay for my crimes. Like, show's over, folks. You know, here we go. And uh, he ends up doing the deed. He, you know, ties the noose around his neck and jumps. And, you know, on, obviously on her Rather, on his way down, you know, she looks down and is basically like, ha ha, fuck you, I'm not going to clean up at all. Everyone will know what you did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting the, getting the last laugh, the last word, what have you. So, now, Ryan, I got to tell you, man, uh, I, know that you, uh, I know that you described this last week based on the cover as a sort of a, a, a little Red Riding Hood tale. What, what did you think about the final shot of her skipping away in 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 uh, a red hood? Because I thought it was so just ridiculous, dude, and so on the nose and so yeah. unnecessary. So that's funny um, because David Slade, I guess, has gone on record in my uh, little, little bit of research on this film as saying that that was completely unintentional. The Red Riding thing, Hood thing was uh, not the way they went into the film at all. It was just kind of ended up that way i guess the the um sweatshirt she was wearing they shot it in orange and they changed it in post too right? oh, supposedly huh. so oh, that's um, weird. yeah so it's not like they set out for that i think maybe they were like what if you know stroking of the beard lit cigarette dark room <laughs> um i don't know yeah i i, Dude, I don't just, have anything for that it just but. reminds me of like i i, I think i brought it up on this show how one of my all-time least favorite shots of all time is the final shot of the departed right yeah you, you guys know the shot i'm talking yeah. about daniel you've yeah, seen the departed absolutely yeah yeah just the whole thing with the rat going across and it's like dude like you made it why did you end your movie on a pun yeah. that's exactly <laughs> what it is that's a visual pun right. yep. get it it's a rat because they're rats <laughs> oh wow i know i didn't just spend the last two and a half hours with you mr scorsese <laughs> like it's just why it doesn't it doesn't totally yeah. work like in airplane sure but in fucking the departed no same thing with hard candy it was just it it, 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 it ends that film ends perfectly with her looking down and delivering the fuck you line and then it cuts yeah. to black that's the perfect ending. For I would have liked. Yeah, and they had, that, to sh- had to tack on that little red. It would have been dope if she was wearing the green me. T-shirt and it was nighttime because she mentioned she never gets to do anything at night. Yeah, that would have been uh, kind of fun. Yeah. Ah, see, there you go. <laughs> it harder to yeah, shoot. Yeah, you're though. right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get lights. It's just, it's magic hour. Okay, come on. <laughs> um, so, I guess uh, if this is Red Riding Hood, that would make The Departed Humpty Dumpty then, yeah? Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> he had a great fall. Ew. But anyways, so yeah. And uh, that is hard candy. So, uh, Daniel, uh, we usually wrap this up with a little feature we called Three Adjectives. It's not particularly creatively titled because it's exactly what it sounds like. You basically give us your three adjectives, which, by the way, I will say, a lot of latitude on whether or not they are single words. Ryan and I like to hyphen shit so that we can, like, sort of cheat the system. 
Uh, you're, you're free to do that. Either way, let's hear your three adjectives to describe your viewing experience with Hard Candy. Well, mine are in chronological order of me experiencing the film. They are suspenseful, unsettling, semi-disappointing. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. I can Interesting. divulge uh, in that later. I'm, I'm, we, I was going to say, well, uh, when, we get, when we get to the formal rating, I would like for you to expound on the uh, semi-disappointing yeah. part there for a minute. The other two are self-explanatory. Ryan, what you got? Uh, I have simple because it is just a stripped down film of two people and in a room and and uh, but uh, and to to add to that though this is a perfect first movie and anyone that's setting out to make their first film I know Jason um, you just wrapped production on, on your, fir- on your on first that. feature film Toast, Toast baby right right little shout out um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, in a similar fashion, you didn't bite off more than you could chew. You kept it to a minimal cast and, and a controllable environment so that you could every scene has the uh, most weight that it could have and sure. uh, versus trying to do too much as your first yeah. time out and then you fall flat. And so, this was just perfectly executed. Uh, no pun intended, which hey, uh, my set my second one uh, kind of <laughs> s- takes from that, which is hyphenated and that is maximized potential. I think that every single scene every frame of this film is the best it could be uh, i just yeah. think that it, the way it's acted the way that it's delivered i mean there are huge exposition dumps that are done during action to make them interesting and the way the camera's placed and the way that it's performed for these exposition dumps you know a, a lesser crafted film would have fallen flat on a lot of that and lastly um i think this um uh, also kind of ties in uh, it, it's a very well balanced film i think that uh mm-hmm. between action dialogue monologuing uh camera work uh intensity um uh, you know uh, soft moments it's just well balanced all the way across the board um i just i really really did enjoy this film for what it was is it perfect no could it, uh, you know is it uh, going back to my first word it's very simple so mm-hmm. you can only give it so much credit for what it is but for what it is it's perfect so anyway how about you jason I feel like Ryan didn't really follow the rules, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the rules are super loose here, man. We, I'm, yeah. I'm fucking <laughs> All, My all, name's on the marquee, bro. I make true. the rules. Every, sing, every single rule we have is made yeah, to be that's broken. The way the we are, we are those type of people. Totally agree. <laughs> um, okay, so my three adjectives. Uh, I've got tight, you know, just simple, effective, to your point, Ryan. Uh, beginning, middle, end, boom, boom, boom. Know exactly where we're going. Don't need to spend too much wasted time here, there, or anywhere. For me, it was an absorbing film. I was really into this film the whole time, man. It was uh, the anti-Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I, uh, you know, instead of tw- uh, 20 minutes passing by like an hour, an hour passed by like 20 minutes. And that's always the good sign, uh, or rather always a sign of a good film. And like I said, I think a large part of that has to do with the really effective pacing, the tight pacing, like I just mentioned. And then, Ryan, funny enough, one of mine is basically, was almost one of yours. My word, it was your descriptor word, which is expertly executed instead of perfectly executed. Hyphenated (laughs) as it is. Yes. Okay. Like I said, we hyphenate the shit out of things on here. Honestly, for us, just doing two is actually really good. Sometimes we'll throw three or four hyphens in there and turn it into a whole damn sentence. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just, just again, for, uh, to your point, Ryan, I, I, I agree 100%. Like, I think this film was pretty perfect for what it was. And, you know, we talk about how certain films, there's like a, it's like a, it's like a degree of difficulty rating in the Olympics, right? Like this movie was as perfect as it was going to be. Doesn't mean it's a five-star film. 
right? Right. Because it's just it didn't maybe have that ceiling on it inherently baked into what it was. Um, but it can be a really, really effective, you know, four to four and a halfer. So, um, so yeah, tight, absorbing, expertly executed. Now, Daniel, I don't know if you know this, but so, uh, and also, you know, listeners, we should probably once again break this down because I'm sure we have new listeners that haven't been with us before. And if you're one of those, hello, welcome. Hopefully you've enjoyed the convo today. You will notice that with the formal ratings that we give at the end of every episode, that I give a star rating and that Ryan gives a grade rating. Now, this is actually something of, uh, like so many things on this show, it was an inside joke that we decided to just lean into <laughs> and accept. And uh, every single time I would ask Ryan to give me a star rating, he would respond with a grade rating. So after like three to five episodes, I was just like, fuck it, fuck it. It's not going to take Ryan. You do grade ratings. I'll do star ratings. The audience will I was just figure it out. why you told right? me either, like one of the two. I know, right? Like, those are very different. <laughs> so what that means is that uh, you have latitude. You can choose which of the two you would like to use when giving us your formal rating for hard candy. Go I, ahead. I'm gonna go with the grade rating. Bye. I know. Team yeah, Ryan, you are. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I I gotta give it a solid B, like solid B. Nice. Uh, I feel yeah. like it. Definitely, like you said, it's it just absorbed me into the to, into the film. the The actors do such a great job. There's so much going on that's so good. I think for me, where it got to the the B level was the fact that it kind of gets tied in a nice little bow in the end, and she becomes. I liked the ambiguity. I liked the mysterious. I, I yeah. wanted a little bit more of that. I would not have minded this movie ending with me not knowing whether he did it or not, with me not knowing whether totally. she was a serial killer or not. I would have loved that direction. <laughs> I think it would have been insanity because you're already sort of creating that vibe in the movie. I feel like maybe someone's note was, hey, we need to actually end it and answer some questions here. and. <laughs> Which is fine. That's the way they decided to, to go with it. And I think it's still made for a very good movie, which is why I give it a solid B. But that's just my opinion, obviously. Cool. And it's just the way I feel about it. But I still absolutely – and I love the fact that kind of like what you mentioned, I remember when I first saw this movie thinking it was going to be sort of like Audition. I'm just going to watch uh, you know, Elliot Page torture uh, Patrick Wilson yeah. and have a lot of gore and blood. And it it's not yet you don't mind it because – there's so much more to keep it kind of reminds me of a clean comic it's so hard to be a clean comic because you can't totally. lean that's a great on cussing and being derogatory and being super controversial you actually have to write like we do <laughs> you know and it's really difficult <laughs> yeah. right, to write and not to say that comics that aren't clean aren't good writers there's plenty like bill burr's great there's plenty of good writers but i just think being a clean comic is so tough and this movie finds a way to kind of capture that same difficulty in portraying a story without leaning on those kind of things so yeah great great movie totally awesome ryan what you got bud uh, I'm going B plus for nice. all the reasons uh, Daniel gave us. So um, yeah, I, I mean, not much more to say. I kind of surmised it in my adjectives, but I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's not perfect, but I think it lived up to its expectations. Um, yeah, just yeah. consistent all the way down the road. This is a uh, you know, this is the the Matt Ryan of uh, of movies. <laughs> <laughs> not going to win you a Super Bowl, but it'll get you the playoffs <laughs> the every Matt time, Ryan. every single year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. So uh, for my star rating out of five stars, I'm giving it four and a quarter, which puts it, yeah, right in there in that, you know, BB plus range. 
Um, so yeah, and the same thing. I mean, I feel like feel like interestingly enough, all of us pretty much came away with the same reaction to this film. Um, which I mean, you know, we both you know have very similar programs. We seem to have similar taste in movies. So not a, not a huge shock that we're coming away with the same. Uh, similar viewing experiences here, but uh, yeah, four and a quarter out of five stars for me for Old Hard Candy. Daniel, before the we way, go, why don't you go ahead? I was gonna and, say no, go I was ahead. gonna give it a B minus, but talking about it with y'all made me like it more. Just, just wanted to dude, say that. I can't. I, I'm dude that actually happens on this show to me all the time like depending on how the conversation goes I can plus or minus it by about a yeah. half star yeah perfect, I've perfect done that example well. is, is Tucker versus Dale I came in with a two-star rating and as we were talking about it, I got more and more pissed off at the movie for being as bad as it was so by the time at the end I'm like nah fuck it one and a half stars waste of time screw this movie <laughs> <laughs> I'm even more mad now. Yeah, it uh, did not affect your uh, judgment of last week's movie, uh, Holy Motors. So. No, that, I mean, <laughs> Holy Motors is a is a unique bird. Like, I'm, I, I will, I know for a fact I'm going to go back and rewatch that movie in a year or two's time, and I'll be interested to see how I respond. But I'll that's die a, on that that's hill. a definitely a unique bird. I still didn't like it, but I'm ready. I'm willing to reconsider my initial response to it. You'd better um, be. <laughs> Daniel, go ahead and plug your program, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, so I'm the host of the Mustachioed Podcastio. We basically cover we cover movies and honor dope ass mustachioed actors, real mustachioed actors that actually have sported them in real life. So that actually does kind of add a, added uh, it adds a little bit of a challenge to find the right uh, actors. But at the same time, the the show kind of similar to this. I make the rules. I can just change it up if I want. Uh, <laughs> oh. Just yesterday, just last night, I had to cover Carrot Top's Chairman of the Board. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was Jesus. Just, oh, man. Oh, I, it was difficult. <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it because I don't want to feel angry again. <laughs> Traumatic yeah. experience. But the show's a great time. <laughs> I really love the technical aspects of esoterica cinema we don't have as much of that but uh you will get a lot of the <laughs> jokes and the fun and all that good stuff and you can find the show on instagram at mustachioed podcastio i spell mustachioed m-o-u-s-t as the beginning instead of uh, m-u uh, which is the more conventional way we spell it in the states because i want people not to be able to find the show very easily <laughs> and uh, on twitter it's m podcastio and i always put the next episode up and there's plenty of links there for you to find a bunch of good stuff and if you guys want to go back in the archives, uh, Jason and I were oh, yeah. co-hosts on his show for the uh, illustrious Mr. Jean-Claude Van Damme's Hard Target with Wilford Brimley's beautiful, beautiful mustache. A great, a, a really <laughs> An great even episode. better Creole accent. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> that is a good one. Please check that one out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go back in the archives fun. and find us there. That's uh, where our eternal friendship with Daniel spurned and uh, forever burns. <laughs> Looking to have so, having y'all yeah. back on for sure. Very soon. Oh yeah, no, dude, your show's awesome, man. Yeah, and and again, dude, just to anybody listening, like, uh, mustachioed podcast, you a great show. Like, uh, you know, we pretty much only have people on that we enjoy their their programs, and so Daniel's, I think, is like really honestly, dude. I think yours was the first program that I found when after we launched. Where I was like, oh yeah, dude, like we got we we got to do something with this guy, like yeah, this dude uh, gets it, yeah, yeah, super <laughs> we'll get fun, along. like can talk film, but also jo make jokes along the way. That's the great thing about Daniel's program is again, kind of like us, right? Like you get 
the you, you actually break down the film, but you get the jokes along the way and you're not like out there like NPRing it and trying to make yourself some stuffy ass critic that like pretends like he knows all this shit better than like the people that listen to his program. Like oh, I yeah. hate that shit, man, you know? Like so so yeah, dude, Jason, definitely check I'm out still here, dude. the podcast. I can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> and we also do something similar too, where we we like to just make sure that no one can find us. So yeah, esoterica cinema. People are like, what the hell is that? Uh, my my online handle is Jason Aberrant, which even I'm not sure how to spell. So oh, uh, yeah, I, it's, I, it's yeah, wonderful. I never get that right. Is it two B's, two R's, one R, two, two R's, B's, one B, one B, two B, three M's two and R's, a silent threes. Q. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, but to all you wonderful listeners, we do encourage you to check us out anyways, even if we're hard to find. So we do have the socials. We've got the Esoterica Cinema on Twitter as well as Instagram. The Instagram page is actually quite lovely with some quotes and pictures and waveforms. Do check that out. We have also got a website. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't checked us out by now, it's been up all season. Esotericacinema.com. Among other things, uh, you know, we do have the web player there with the current episode that's always playing. We have the awesome animatic that we had done for the Flippers Gentleman's Club sketch. Uh, that's getting a lot of good response. And then, of course, you can download the master list. What's the master list? It's the list that we choose all the movies from at the end of every episode. So we're going to do it here today. We do it every episode. Uh, Daniel, basically, uh, th- that just spurned from the fact that, like, Ryan and I had such a hard time deciding what movies to do. We're just like, fuck it. Let's just leave it to chance. Just take 200 movies, put them on a giant, you know, list, and then every episode just randomly select a number, and that's the film that we're going to look at next week. Wow. <laughs> that's interesting. I like that. <laughs> Movie lottery. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we are going to go ahead and do that here in a moment, but also just to remind everyone that uh, as far as the, as far as Ryan and I individually, you can catch me at Jason Aberrant, and uh, for anyone wondering, it's one B and two R's. Uh, that's actually named you'll never after. remember. <laughs> if you're listening out there in your cars, you'll never remember. Um, and you can you can go catch ahead. me outside. Uh, no, you can catch me at Twitter at the Ryan Seabold. That's S E Y, uh, or on Instagram at Ryan underscore Seabold, um, and. Uh, Listen, before we do this giveaway, Jason, do you have anything to add? Uh, well, uh, do you mean before we do the poll, should we do the giveaway? Yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> Listen, yeah, I guess we should. Fine, Before fine. we do the... <laughs> I'm, I'm a cheap bastard. I'm really upset because, I, you know, we're doing this giveaway, and to be completely honest, the, the, the prize is 50 bucks. And I could use that 50 bucks right now, so I kind of don't like to bring it up, but... I guess we'll go ahead and do so. So, to everyone listening, we're doing a raffle right now. It's a contest, and the 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 grand prize is fifty bucks. What do you have bucks. to What do you have to do to get uh, en- entry into the raffle? Very simple. Send All Jason you- dick pics. You can either send me a dick pic, and <laughs> of course, the larger the dick, the better your chances. Send him that yeah. Ronnie, or- that Ronnie dick. <laughs> <laughs> Every inch uh, is a new entry. Yep, yep, yep. I've Inches already gotten I've already gotten seven mandingos. I'm wondering how far it goes. <laughs> and uh but yeah, no, so <laughs> or the preferable option is you can go leave us a Sounds review. Sounds like we've already chosen our winner. You can go leave us a review on the old Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. 
couple other spots. Pretty much just go to Apple. That's really where, you know, most of the podcast reviews are left. And, uh, yeah, so you leave us a review. Doesn't even have to be a good one. You could absolutely trash us, leave us one star. Whether you leave us five, three, one, two, or four, you're going to take a snapshot, a screenshot. You're going to send it to us. You're going to send it to one of two places. It's either going to be esotericacinema at twitter.com, well, on Twitter, or esotericacinema at gmail.com. And that's the email one. So Twitter or email, send us the screenshot of your review. You automatically get entered for a $50 grand prize that we are going to pull on our next bonus episode. So uh, go ahead and do that. Let us know. And now, if I have Ryan's permission, we will go ahead and choose the next film. Do the thing. (laughs) So here's the thing. Uh, Normally, I would go to our trusty random.org true number generator. However... Daniel, when we have guests on the show, uh, I like to put it on them. So since it's just you, all I am going to need from you is a number 1 through 200. Nice. Let's go 136. 136. Yes. I'm loving it. So So before I call it out, we're going to reward our real fans that have the downloaded list and give them a moment to go ahead and look up and see what 136 is. I can see it right here, right now, and actually, I am pretty excited. Uh, it's by a filmmaker that we have looked at before on this show, uh, actually, in season one. You know the filmmaker from season one's Video Drone. That's right, we are going to be looking at David Cronenberg's The Brood. All right. Oh, yeah. That is right. And I believe if it's not his first film, it's one of his first films. Um, so yeah, now I know for a fact this is on HBO Max if you have an HBO Max subscription because I have it on my queue and I've almost watched it a couple times. And there's like, there's, it happens all the times. There's films I want to watch and I'm like, ah, but it's on the list. And like, what if we just happen to pull it next time? But then there's also a scenario where it doesn't get pulled for three years because it's all random. So it's like, eh. right. Uh, but I have not watched uh, the brood in, in many years. Uh, have you ever seen it, Ryan? I have not. How about you, Daniel? Have you seen that one? It's another one that is on my list as well. I've been wanting to see this movie for a while. so And I actually think I had a friend that may have covered it a way back when. So I I owe it to myself to, to watch this movie. So I might watch it along with you at some point and then listen to the podcast, listen to the episode about it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Please do. So, um, yeah, like so we said, will get you... at least one listen next week. Hey, <laughs> guarantee. Guarantee. <laughs> Busting back those Creole accents. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, again, uh, it may, I'm sure it's probably elsewhere. I know it's in the Criterion Collection. If you if you have the disc, awesome. Um, like I said, it's on HBO Max, and I'm sure you can rent it somewhere else. So be sure to watch David Cronenberg's The Brood ahead of our next episode of Esoterica Cinema, and we will see you then. Wrinkled. Sweaty. Sensitive. And Dry. Within the miracle of the human creation, it's widely agreed that the man's balls were God's greatest afterthought. Hi, I'm Ryan Siebold, founder of The Ball Club for Men, a first-of-its-kind premium service that brings both fashion and function to the lower male form. Growing up with gross balls, my self-esteem was at an all-time low. But since founding The Ball Club for Men, I'm confident to say, my eyes are up here, but my balls are down there. Ball Club for Men is a subscription-based service, letting you exchange your balls as often as you want, so you can have the balls you need exactly when you need them. 
breeze past your competition with our lightweight sport balls. Scientifically engineered and tested to be our most aerodynamic design. It's like having Usain Bolt between your legs. Or flaunt on the farm and steal women's rights away with our Texas Edition rugged XL model, giving you a heavier pair of truck nut size clankers for all of your disenfranchising needs. And as a special promotion commemorating Season 2 of Esoterica Cinema, I'd like to announce here, today, our new partnership with Balenciaga to create our most luxurious set of balls to date. Made of premium Italian marble, each ball is handcrafted and smoothed to perfection, polished with French champagne, and presented in a faux chinchilla fur pouch. These balls are worthy of any fashionista. So don't settle for the balls you were given. Call today for a free brochure and learn how you can gain confidence and style with Ball Club for Men. And remember, I'm not just the president. I'm also a client. From the visionary minds at Aberrant Literature comes a short fiction collection unlike any other. Aberrant Tales. Bursting at the seams with stories of creativity, excitement and wonder. Aberrant Tales takes the very best in modern science fiction, fantasy and horror and weaves them into one thrilling eclectic package. Featuring the works of Ashton McCauley, M.T. Roberts, Daniel Curland, and Jason Peters. Aberrant Tales is available today in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions. Online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature.